Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast with me, Tom Verducci, and Joe Madden, also co-authors of the namesake book. The Book of Joe is out now wherever you buy your books. Joe, I went to a World Series game last night, and fireworks night broke out. Five home runs by the Philadelphia Phillies. They grabbed control of the series with a 7-0 win on Game 3. Give me your thoughts about what first comes to mind watching World Series Game 3? Well, yeah, it was unlikely. Uh, McCullers just doesn't do that. and um, But he wasn't sharp. He hasn't been sharp his last two outings. I don't even know if the champagne bottle to the elbow is lingering right now. It kind of looks like it is. Uh, pitches just weren't finishing. Uh, breaking ball was at times sharp, but very inconsistent. I love his changeup. I thought he should have thrown his changeup a little bit more often, get underneath some of those guys on the right-handed side and possibly diving away from the lefties, but I have no idea what their game planning was. But I was surprised. I was surprised that. And then, um, you know, we, I left you a, a note this morning. The When when you waste good pitching in a bad game, I again, it's like he stayed in there so long, it was hard to have the Astros dig down deeply enough and, and really be able to come back where the pitch, uh, the Phillies' momentum was so great and their, their bullpen pitched really well, obviously. But uh, I'm a bigger Keaty fan, and to have him pitch three innings in a game like that when it's pretty much out of hand, that would bother me. I mean, just this is on my personal note. I hate it using good pitching in a bad game like during a regular season. That's the way I describe it. And Stanek, but I, I know like almost every one of their guys is good, so it's it's different. Uh, but a guy like Rikidi to me could be really uh, a difference maker in a situation or a series like this. So more than anything, that's that was my takeaway. Um I just have that thought during a regular season and in the playoffs too, but primarily regular season, I've always hated to use uh, good pitching in a bad game, and that's what happened last night. Yeah, you're right, though, about how deep that Houston staff is. I mean, Stanek and Urquidy haven't pitched much at all because there's just so many good options for Dusty Baker. Right. I like what you said about McCullers. You know, the champagne bottle injury was the elbow. He showed me that elbow. It was still kind of – black and blue and tender there. Now, mm-hmm. I think it also has to do with rust. 
he got out there for only the fourth time in 41 days. Wow. He's pitched on seven days of rest, eight days of rest, 11 days of rest, and 12 days of rest the last four times out. You're talking about a touch and feel guy. So I, I looked at that going in, and I said, hmm, this is interesting. As you know, it's probably a little bit tougher for a touch and feel guy than for a power guy. Mm-hmm. But. Everybody started talking during the game about was he tipping his pitches. And we all love conspiracy theories. You have to know this, folks, about the game that McCullers pitched last night. 82% of his pitches were between 82 and 89 miles an hour. 82 of his pitches were in a very narrow window of velocity. The Philadelphia Phillies went to the home plate knowing they were sitting soft. And that's exactly what they got. McCullers threw one fastball to a left-handed pitcher, a left-handed hitter. He had thrown one all season to a left-handed hitter. He had thrown 29 fastballs to a left-handed hitter all year. So the lefties went to the plate looking soft. They got soft. You combine that with a guy who has not pitched very much for the last five weeks and his breaking stuff was landing right over the heart of the plate without the same kind of bite to it. So, for instance, Kyle Schwarber saw 11 pitches, every one of them between 82 and 88. Walk, home run. You've got Brandon Marsh. These are both Joe Madden guys, yep, by the way. They are. They're my boys. Six pitches, right? A double base hit or a home run and a base hit. Six pitches, 84 to 89 miles an hour you're not beating the philadelphia phillies pitching them almost entirely soft i'm sorry especially in that ballpark where they now have 17 home runs in what is a six and oh postseason just a bad matchup for mccullers feel sorry for him because of the rust factor but give credit to the phillies they knew it was coming only because they game planned exactly the right way yeah, I didn't realize the numbers were that heavy against the fastball, which I really find curious. Um, I mean, he has he has plenty of, of hop when he when he wants it. I've seen that we've we've both seen that in the past. So um, I, I don't even know analytically if uh, they they deem the fact that his, his fastball two seamer uh, ran into the barrel, say, of a lefty. Uh, I've always big on uh, when I consult with my pitchers. I like when they throw the ball to the weak part of the bat as opposed to the strong part of the bat. And I could see if, if uh, McCullers is well or right um, and sharp, like you suggested, he didn't pitch uh, with any regularity, that he could get that breaking ball more to the weak part of the bat, not to the strong part of the bat. Because, I mean, even that breaking ball to uh, uh, Marshy, he got he actually got the barrel to that. It uh, was ele- elevated a bit, but he got the barrel to that, obviously. And the, the one to Harper was just, it was middle-middle. I mean, there's nothing he could have done but hit it that far. And I think Bum's home run was a changeup or something that came running back into him. I thought I saw that also. Again, I didn't realize it was such a, a heavy breaking ball situation, but I, I even asked you this morning how many breaking balls versus fastballs I've hit for home runs in the in the playoffs, and I was surprised that you gave come back to me and told me it was a way fastballs way over breaking balls. And again, that's another example of where I need to see data sometimes because my personal impressions are probably wrong. Uh, but yeah, uh, a strange kind of a method. And, and, and finally, um, yeah, he wasn't tipping his pitches. He was tipping his whole game plan. I mean, these guys knew exactly what he was going to do before the game began. You can sit soft mentally. And when you do that, that little internal clock permits you to stay back a lot. 
And if he's making good pitches with it, it still could be problematic. But if he's not, which he wasn't, he was not making good pitches, then advantage Phillies absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point about if he's making pitches, yeah. he's going to get out. I mean, he got five punch outs. He had right. nine swings and misses. So when he got some tilt on his slider and he got it in the right spot, it worked. You know, it's like Randy Johnson back in the day. People thought he was, they knew he was tipping pitches and he could throw that slider back foot and guys still couldn't hit it. So McCullers, when he threw his breaking pitches right, it was good, which told me they didn't tip it. But, you know, you made a good call on Bryce Harper. First pitch. And McCullers told me after the game, he said, I know with a guy on base, I cannot let Bryce Harper beat me. But you know right. what? He struck out Harper on three straight curveballs the last time he saw him. Mm-hmm. Harper goes up to the plate. He knows. He literally knows he's not getting a fastball. So he sits soft. And when you throw a first pitch curveball and you have not established any fastball, a guy is going to be on balance. Schwarber's first at bat of the game. Six breaking pitches. He was on balance and took every single one of them. And your guy Marsh, you know, listen, I like Brandon Marsh. He's a good athlete. As a hitter, he's got pretty much slider bat speed right now, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Against right-handed fastballs this year, 713 right-handed fastballs. Only three times did he have a hit to the pull side on a right-handed fastball. You have to throw him fastballs. McCullers didn't throw him a fastball. So he's pitching to these strengths. And again, if you allow a team that's red hot right now, like the Phillies to sit on one speed, you're going to get burned. And that's what happened in game three. It was not about tipping. I I would bet that Kevin Long had the breaking ball machine set up in that tunnel. Uh, Right. Well, he did. They were out there at two 30 on the field actually. And it was Schwarber. Okay. Who now is the the king of the breaking ball machine. He brings the younger guys out there too. And, As he told me, I love doing it because I like being outside and seeing the shape of the pitches outside. Mm -hmm. But he said, I also do it because the young guys love it and we make a game of it and it's fun. Bottom line is we have fun playing off the curveball machine. Love that. One other thing about these you were talking earlier about uh, they knew what's coming and you still had five strikeouts. Sometimes you'll chase more often if you know what's coming, especially with the breaking ball. I mean, if you're sitting breaking ball and you see it well out of the hand, possibly go strike ball. You almost convince yourself you're going to swing at this pitch. It's always, um, it, it, it's, it's, you should. If, if you have a strong uh, feeling that it's going to be a break ball, I understand completely. But also the other part of it is sometimes you can get in a chase mode because you know it, here it comes, I see it, and all of a sudden you just start your swing and you can't stop it. And that's probably where those five strikeouts came from. Yeah, that's a good point, by the way, you know, because let's go back to the sign-stealing scandal with the mm-hmm. Astros, right? Nobody thought it was a cool thing. It was terrible. But Jose Altuve is a hitter who didn't want signs because he's one of those hitters, like you said, Joe, if he knows what's coming, the tendency is to lean into it, and even if it's out of the zone, to go chase it. Mm -hmm. And he told me something fascinating last night. Altuve, on defense, doesn't use pitch comm. Now, the Astros pitchers all use it, so as a middle infielder, he doesn't know what pitches are coming. So he told me he doesn't use it because he feels like if he knows what's coming, he might jump too early to his position. Right. For instance, pull uh, shade to the pull side on a breaking ball too often. So I thought that was interesting. He wants to play the game as naturally as possible. Again, this is no excuse for, you know, what happened. Even if he weren't stealing signs or benefiting from it, you knew what was going on. But it is fascinating. I think there's a couple of things at play here, Joe. What do you got? Number one, McCullers has to go back to the drawing board. The Phillies are at least in his head. When you give up five home runs, you have to start thinking, am I tipping? 
And sometimes it's like the spitball. The idea that you're doing it, you know, sometimes can be as effective as actually doing it. And then it's the rust factor. You know, I was talking to Justin Verlander, who wasn't sharp in his start in game one. And he said, listen, you know, bullpens just aren't the same. He said, I get into bad habits playing catch and throwing bullpens. You just don't have the same competitive edge. I went out there on the mound and I took some of those bad habits out there with me from not being on the mound. Now, we'll see if he makes an adjustment in his next start in game five. But when you talk about rest versus rust for pitchers, we're seeing it show up with Houston now. It's not about after the days off that first game. It's about some of these starting pitchers now being outside of their normal schedule. Well, I think uh, you're hitting on it right there. I think it's more problematic to a starter than it is to a uh, relief pitcher bullpen guy. I've, I've really, for years, uh, I'll go back to Troy Percival and even Russell Iglesias, um, Chappie. If they didn't pitch, you were in a bad run or a real good run, but normally a bad run where you didn't have a chance for a save. They may not pitch for five days or six days. And you'll call down or you'll ask before the game, listen, do you guys want an inning tonight? And they'll say, no, I'm okay. And they'll just go out there and they'll throw to the catcher in the bullpen. So I've, I've normally uh, noticed and believed that a relief pitcher is better able to handle that moment than a starter does. Uh, the starter is right. I mean, these guys um, don't like extra. The, they, don't, they say they don't like extra days, but a lot of them pitch well with an extra day. But no more than that. When it starts getting into two extra days and beyond that, you, you, I, I was always concerned about that. And um, you know, Some guys uh, that are trying to look into the analytical component of this like that because they like the idea of rest, but then here comes the, the rust factors you're, you're um, talking about, too. So I think it's more problematic for a starting pitcher to have more rest than they're, they're normally accustomed to. Uh, they like, like, maybe, like I said, an extra day now and then is, is not a bad thing, but two, three, four can be very difficult. But bullpen dudes, um, like I said, the better guys, even if they had pitched for a while, you ask if they want an, in, an inning and they say no. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, I want to hear Joe Madden's best pitch tipping story. And we'll also dive into what's going to happen in game four of the World Series. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. Remember, the Book of Joe podcast, if you like it, you're going to love the book itself. Our namesake book, The Book of Joe, with Tom Verducci and Joe Madden. It's out now, wherever you buy your books. All right, Joe, I talked about pitch tipping. Probably not in play with Lance McCullers Jr. in Game 3, but you've been around the game long enough. Something stand out in your mind about one of your guys or maybe somebody else who was tipping his pitches? Well, one of the, one of the I mean, I guess it's a geography joke. You had to be there. That's uh, out of the office, Michael Scott. <laughs> um, but uh, Ty Wigginton, uh, we're playing the Red Sox. And we're having our way with uh, Wakefield, which never happens. I mean, Tim Wakefield, like at that time, I don't think I ever saw him pitch badly. But anyway, anyway we're, we're, we were scoring a couple runs. And here comes Wiggy around the bases. He's running into the dugout. And he starts screaming. He's tipping his pitches. <laughs> he only threw a knuckleball, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that, I, again, I guess you had to be there, geography joke. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's primarily. But I'll tell you what happens a lot your defenders will come back in and they'll say or see something like Mike Trout's really good at that. Jimmy Edmonds was really good at that. They'll come in from the outfield or, or somebody, um, not necessarily a catcher all the time, but a position player that's really good at picking up on things. will come in and they'll immediately co- will go to the, to the pitcher, the pitching coach and say, actually you'd prefer going to the pitching coach because if you go to the pitcher, he'll freak out, but you go to the pitching coach and you tell him what you are seeing and then let him have it. Uh, bring it to the to the player himself. So I've I've seen that a lot. I'm always surprised uh, at how good these guys are. There's a certain guys. It's not everybody. Eddie Perez in the dugout uh, was outstanding at picking up stuff like that. Uh, and I was always uh, Ron Renicky as a coach, Alfredo Griffin as a coach. These guys were just good. They'll they'll watch a grip. Uh, runners at second base could see certain things. You could watch elbows move. Um, there's different things that these guys pick up on. Um, and even for me, I used to. As a catching instructor, there's a lot of times if you really pay attention to a catcher, he might give a, a tip off a pitch just by his movement. In other words, if it's a right-handed pitcher versus a right-handed hitter, if a, if a catcher moves inside normally, it's going to be hard or a fastball, unless there's one particular pitcher is able to throw his changeup underneath the righty, as an example. Uh, so you always had your catchers try to move with the same foot first, move late, uh, set up cl- more closely to where uh, – Whatever, wherever you want the pitch to be located, set up more closely to that spot so your movements are smaller, less discernible from the side. All these different things have been involved in all these different moments where, where uh, pitches have been picked up. But 
I could still see um, Ty Wigginton's face, who I absolutely love, running into the dugout yelling that Tim Wakefield is tipping his pitches. That's always been my favorite. I love that story. <laughs> a couple for me, going back to Dwight Gooden in his heyday back in 85, I think it was 85, it was Larry Boa who was traded over to the Mets from the Cubs. <laughs> and Gooden absolutely owned the Cubs. I mean, it was like Little League against a major league pitcher. Anyway, Boa gets to the Mets, and he says, we had all of Gooden's pitches. He was actually taking his finger off the glove when he was throwing his breaking ball and on it for a fastball. This is before they had the sleeves there for that index finger outside the glove. So it tells you how good Dwight Gooden was. They had every one of his pitches. He was only a two-pitch guy, and they still couldn't hit Dwight Gooden. And the other was World Series Game 6, 2001, Andy Pettit out in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. They had every one of his pitches from the stretch, and that was like an 11-3 game. They blew the game open. It was, I think Mark Grace, he was great at that. You talked about some of these veterans on the bench. He was bringing his hands to the set position in a different way. He brought his hands away from him for a breaking pitch, close to the body for a fastball. Every pitch he threw with the runner of base, they knew it was coming. So it does happen in the game. I think it happens probably less than people think because it makes for such a good story. If guy gets hit, he must be tipping his pitches. But it, it does happen. Well, that paranoid really uh, runs through the dugout. Uh, it happens often when you're when you're seeing your guy primarily like if, if he's throwing a good breaking ball from the side as you're watching the game and the hitters are just taking that breaking pitch, it's a strike ball and, and it's sharp and these guys are spitting on it. I, you get suspicious at times. I do not, not from the perspective that they're cheating, but that my pitcher might be tipping. Um, and, and that'll really circulate throughout the dugout. Like I said, I like when guys come in and check in from their positions because they can see different things that you can't necessarily see from your, your uh, perch in the dugout. So yeah, it's, it's all part of the game. And that's the part of, of the game that I love. I mean, if you, are bright enough and have played long enough that you're able to discern these kind of things. I used to sit with West Westrom, uh, former major league player manager uh, at Arizona state when I began scouting and I sit next to West and that uh, Kendall Carter would be pitching or one of the, the, the stalwarts from ASU at that time. And he would call every pitch from like halfway up the, the bleachers there. And I guess apparently he called a lot of pitches for Mays and McCovey when he's a first base coach with the Giants. So some guys just see things that others cannot. Yeah, interesting. And I think that's why also when you think about that skill of picking up tips or tells, mm -hmm. it's being done a lot now in back rooms around the game. If you noticed McCullers last night when he came to the set position, he did this a while ago. He's changed the way he re-grips the ball. He has the glove and ha the hand in the glove and it's right on his hip. And Corbin Burns does that. You Darvish has done this. A lot of pitchers now, Joe Musgrove, have gone to this. Why do they do that? Because every ballpark now has cameras trained specifically on the pitcher's hands and other parts to find out if he's tipping his pitches, if he's giving something the way and the way he regrips, the way he just holds the ball on a certain type of pitch. They have backroom analysts looking at all these video cameras dedicated on the pitcher himself. It's amazing how much they can find out. And I'm talking, this is being done on minor league pitchers as well. You know, Buck Showalter was telling me they had a minor league pitcher come up, make his major league debut, and a team was all over the guy. And he was convinced they had it from video. So that old school skill of see it with your eyes, a lot of it now is being done in back rooms with video. 
uh, and pitchers just have to be super careful. But again, I'll go back to McCullers. We'll put a bow on McCullers with this, Joe. That sequence you talked about where maybe the game got away went from 4 nothing to 7 nothing. Marsh single, Schwerber home run, Hoskins home run. I'm going to give you the pitch sequence from Lance McCullers Jr., at least the velocities. 89, 86, 86, 87, 85, 84, 88, 84, 83, 86, 87, 85. I think that says it all. Yeah, uh, Warren Spahn hitting his timing, pitching is the upsetting of timing. And if you could get in that kind of a groove regarding uh, watching the pitcher's release point, uh, just timing it all out, absolutely advantage goes to that that particular hitter. Another point, as you were talking about the previous uh, concept there with the um, – uh, the different uh, grips and or how the pitcher starts, whatever. Ryan Dempster, uh, uh, he was really good uh, at. Remember all the different gesticulations prior to the pitch. Yeah, it looked like I mean, he was got, shaking a martini. Exactly. Very good. Very good. Uh, shaking, <laughs> not stirred. But I mean, I, I kind of, I, I would do something like that. I think. Uh, I thought that was actually kind of bright because that's what you're. When you get confusing a little bit to the hitter, you'll give up. And then if you're going to study a video and. Uh, and it's, you might be able to discern something from that, but from a hitter's perspective, it's too busy. I can't devote all my time into that area. So I always thought that Demps always had the right idea by making it a little bit more confusing as long as it doesn't bother you. And for him, it was actually very simple to do, but I thought that was kind of brilliant. All right, let's look forward to game four. I don't know if it's a must win for the Astros. It's pretty darn close if it's not. They have to feel like somebody has to slow down this Philadelphia train. As I said, 6-0 and at home in the postseason. There's definitely a vibe going on. The lineup right now is just so much more deeper than the Houston lineup. But, Joe, they've got a guy going tonight, Christian Javier, who's got – I mean, it's the antithesis of Lance McCullers. He throws 60% fastballs. It's got incredible ride on it. He's one of these pitchers who throws hard, but it's not just that. Low release point to the top of the zone – with spin and ride on it. It's a tough draw for the for the Phillies. Listen, Kevin Long will have him ready. We all know that. But a very different look tonight with Javier going for Houston. Nola back on the mound for the Phillies. How do you see this one? Yeah, uh, the, the deception of Javier. I'm a big fan of this young man. Um, every time I saw him, uh, my team could not hit this guy. There is. There's, there's deception. There's ride to the pitch. Um, he's a strike thrower. He's assertive. He's aggressive. He don't mess around. I've, I've always, I've always been a big fan of his, and I really anticipate he'll do a lot of the same tonight. He's just, you know, you talked about certain guys in the Philly lineup. I, the, the elevated fastball is problematic. I mean, it's hard for most guys. There's some really good high ball hitters out there. I had Evan Longoria for a while, and and Longo was really good at hitting an elevated fastball. Jason Hayward, that was his bread and butter. If you get a fastball up to him. You just go down a list of, of different guys. There are some uh, pool holes could hit a high fastball, but not everybody can. Like Mike Trout wanted the ball down. So I, it's going to play. Dad will play. He's got other pitches to work with that too. But I think you're going to see a different kind of game or pattern just based on his stuff compared to what McCullers was trying to do last night. Nola, um, you know, I don't know. He's, he's pitched a lot this year. And I, and I know more recently it hasn't been as sharp. I know he's going to be at home. I think this is a game where um, the fact that uh, that Robbie did not have to use a lot of his better bullpen last night, that you might see it earlier tonight. I don't think you're going to let Nola give up five points without somebody in the game or like last night McCullers five, whatever it was, runs, and or even more than that, right, that, that nobody's in the game before that. I think uh, Robbie would be a less um, uh, patient. He's going to have to go get him, I think. He'll be showing signs of what you've seen the last two times out. 
And on the other hand, I think Javier is going to pitch well. I, I probably because I've never seen him pitch poorly, but I, I like uh, like we've talked about the the low arm uh, slot release and the elevation and a lot of deception at the plate. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think it's a tough draw for Philly. I, I think probably their best matchup might be Schwarber against that high fastball. I'd put him in that same group. Those guys you mentioned, they can get on top of those pitches. Uh, Nola, the problem has been pretty clear in my book, and you saw it in his World Series start. He struggles out of the stretch for some reason. He's much better out of the windup. I talked to him about it. He said he's just more comfortable out of the windup. It's a more natural, fluid, longer delivery for him. You know, he does have a unique delivery. It takes a while to get kind of unwound. And I think out of the stretch, it's just not the same. The numbers show that during the season. That was his issue in his first start against Houston. He got hurt much more with runners on base than he did out of the windup. That's something to look forward to tonight. But you're right about Rob Thompson. I mean, perfect scenario. My goodness. You talk about things going Philly's way, Joe. That rainout allowed him to pitch Suarez in game three. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And Suarez right. pitched a gem. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. But the blowout also, as you said, allowed Rob to stay away from his winning pieces out of the bullpen. So now he's in the perfect scenario where he's got two games to play here with a, essentially a fully rested bullpen when it comes to Alvarado and Dominguez. And he's got Nola, who, again, has not been on point the last couple of times out against San Diego and now here against Houston. Right. But he's got good coverage these next two days. And, again, this team feels like it's bulletproof. Yeah, I think, just like you said, just going to be a little bit less patient. And who knows? I mean, Nola could just flip it out there, and all of a sudden it's, it's going to look like classic Nola tonight. That's definitely a possibility. Um, but uh, with him out of the uh, of the stretch, does he lose I – mean, I don't know this for a fact. Do you know this? Does he lose velocity, or does he um, – uh, what what seems to diminish other than... Uh, yeah, it's more command. Okay. He told me he feels like he can be slow out of the stretch to the plate, and, and he quickens up and gets underneath the baseball. Uh, and he's got impeccable command normally. I've always felt like Aaron Nola, if he lands his breaking ball, right, it's lights out. It, it all comes to that. His fastball command is generally really good, but out of the stretch, it's not so much velo as it is getting underneath the ball and, and kind of spraying his fastball more than he normally does. It sounds like he might be concerned about the running game a little bit, which he shouldn't. But um, listen, I've, a lot of times I'm just I just I want to just hear what you had to say about that, because a lot of times I've asked guys to be quicker to the plate, actually get their foot down sooner in order to get their arm up and out, which I thought normally leads to better command as opposed to pitchers that want a more elongated delivery out of the stretch because they think they could get more on the pitch. And for me, a lot of times uh, that doesn't work quite uh, as well as they think it would. And I prefer foot down, arm out, arm up, and ball coming out of hand with a quicker uh, release. And then also, of course, easier to control the running game. But I'll watch it more closely tonight. I haven't really seen him a whole lot, and I'll try to uh, figure out what I think. Yeah, I would go the opposite with him based on what he told me and say, you know what, right. don't worry about the running game. Yeah, make your pitches, yeah. execute your pitches. That's what it sounds like, absolutely. And you know, with Houston, they've got some guys that could run, but he's got a pretty good catcher back there. Oh, one of the best, if not the best, no doubt about that. Right. So as long as things are rolling Philly's way, and you know, Philly's a great music town, got a great history, especially some real good rock and roll and soul music. What would be the soundtrack? What Philly artist would you have on your turntable? Because I know you got a turntable, Joe Madden. It's right there. <laughs> for 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 if you know the way Philly's rolling here. I mean, we got lots of options here. You you can go Hall and Oates, you can go Quest Love, you can go Jim Croce, the Roots, uh Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Who you what vinyl are you Ooh. throwing on Ooh. there? 
Woo, How, How, Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes is one of my all-time favorites, man. Um, used to uh, play them at, at the fraternity house um, at, at Lafayette College at Zeta Psi. I'd be up there taking my shower or whatever, and i put this big, big old stereo on, and I would just uh, jam to Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. But how about the Hughes Corporation? Ooh, good call. Rock the boat, yeah, isn't that right? Yeah, is that right on? Don't rock. The is boat, that the right baby. group for? Th- yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah, I, I, because uh, me and my buddy Kaz used to go down to Philly to see uh, the Phillies. We would go down uh, to the to the vet. We'd drive in in his '69 um, or '70 Chevelle, whatever was going on at that moment. And I remember driving down the Schuylkill Expressway, and specifically with that song coming on. And I thought, my God, it's there's nothing more Philadelphia than that moment for me. So anytime I hear that particular song, I'm always driving down the Schuylkill Expressway with Kaz going to a Philly game at the vet. And gosh, what years were that? I can't remember exactly when that came out, but uh, I do. I, I really identify that. You could, you could go to Rocky and all that stuff, uh, theme from Rocky, whatever, but um, I'm into the, the Hughes Corporation. Yeah, that might be, though, a 45 and not a 33. I'm not sure if there's a number two hit song, but... It's no, it was a, a 45. No, I know, but I'm not sure if they uh, filled an album of greatest hits. Oh, I, I got yeah, you. that no, might no, be a single. Greatest. It's like it's like Iron Butterfly and Gata Devito. That's that's their greatest hits. Hey, sometimes one is all it takes. I would go Hall and Oates, believe it or not. Okay. Only because I think that was the first concert that I went to. It was a Hall and Oates concert. Not bad. And you know what, Joe? Some of their songs, I'm not saying mm-hmm. all of them, some of their songs hold up really well. Yeah. Well, Sarah Smile, my, my daughter's name is Sarah, and uh, this is weird but true. Um, you know, I have to go to the hospital. She's going to be born and get up, and we start getting everything together to get in the car to go and put on my radio because I always did. And, of course, the first song that came on was Sarah Smile. And at that point, did not know it was going to be a girl. We did not know at that point. So uh, Sarah Smile, but the name was going to be Sarah, and that's my uh, Hall & Oates story, and I'm sticking to it. It was meant to be. But we'll see if it's meant to be another Phillies win. They're on a roll right now. Philadelphia Phillies have games four and five at home at the bank. The place is a madhouse. Whatever happens, we'll be back at you with another episode of the Book of Joe podcast. Joe, always fun. And thank you. And from Kierkegaard, the door to happiness opens outward. Always remember that. Love it. Okay, guys. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at first first listen. listen. This season, 
we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.